This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, your weekly environment podcast chatting all things climate and sustainability. Each week we sit down and we have a look at a different topic and we try and find out just about what it is that you and I can do to make a little bit of a big difference. I'm your host Emma, I'm here in the studio again with my buddy Lloyd. Hiya. Alright? I'm alright, how are you alright? I'm alright, yep. glad to be back. Good, we're all alright. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty We pretty are all alright. Buzzing for today's topic? Buzzing for plastics. That's it, yeah, we're, we're sitting down and we're the talking plastics. Word. And just as a forewarning, there is a lot, there's a lot to talk about there when is, it comes to plastics. Um, so this is going to be a two-parter, yeah. guys. We're going to stretch this out as much as possible. We're going to make you sit there and listen to us drone on for two episodes. Two whole episodes, hopefully not with that much droning. So stick around for that. Can't wait. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, so it's that time again. What one good thing have you done this week? Da, da, da. Um, I don't know if it's cheating to use one that I haven't just done this week. It's been like a regular thing in the last few months. Uh, I don't think that's cheating. I think that should be celebrated. Yes, good. That's a good That's a good habit. Yes. You're coming to the podcast with good habits. Let's, let's celebrate me for a little while. Oh, steady on. <laughs> There's um, a cake out the bag. I have been uh, a regular buyer of uh, Ecova products, if you've heard of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Ecova products um, are mainly uh, washing up liquids and washing detergents and fabric mm. softeners. And they're, they're really good. So they're mainly plant-based uh, liquids. Uh, they come in packaging like bottles that are at least partly recycled plastic. And I think they've got an aim to be 100% recycled, recyclable, recycled plastics mm-hmm. uh, by 2020, maybe. Something. I'm just pulling numbers <laughs> out of air now. Um, and they do really good schemes like you can once you've uh, used up everything you can take it back to like a local filler i think they've got on their website places you can go yeah so you don't yeah. have to buy a new bottle every time you can just take along say i'm done hello steve can you do it up again and uh, <laughs> I'm, steve. I'm imagining steve <laughs> yeah i just imagine it would always be a steve 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 would fill it up for you steve and, would i'm sure steve you would you're, you're sorted uh, and also just the way they make the products and their factories are really interesting. Oh, yeah. like, uh, if you go on their website, they've got lots of things they're doing. But one thing I found quite cute was uh, they've got something they call a cleaning pig. What is a cleaning pig? First of all, disclaimer, it's not a pig. Kind of disappointing, but also relieving at the same time. It's not a real pig. They call it a pig because they use it to clean their, their uh, factory pipes. Okay. Um, Good job it's not a real pig. Yes. Otherwise, I mean, big, big pipes, I guess, if it was a real pig. But anyway, so they put this cleaning thing through the pipes and it's, it's because it squeals as it goes through the pipes. Uh, they call okay. it big. Um, don't worry, RSPCA. RSPCA? No, yeah. You don't need to panic. <laughs> so don't worry. Uh, but the main point of this story was that they don't have to wash through their pipes with water so it doesn't risk going back into the water system, water supply. Oh, very nice. Water table. Yeah, I thought it was quite a cool little fact. Oh, very um, good of them. You can use, yeah, get, get their stuff from all sorts of supermarkets. Um, other brands are available. But this We're is not a sponsored by Ecova. Good brand. I mean, we could be. If you're listening, get in touch. How about <laughs> it? No, I love them. I love them. Yeah, I've not done the refilling station yet because there isn't one immediately near me. That's the only issue, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there are other brands I've seen, like in Swansea University, I've noticed there's a little shop that has another 
brand. I can't remember the brand they've got, but you can literally go into the shop in sort oh, of really? Union. Yeah, so it's, there are some other companies as well. Oh, that's brilliant. So go on then. What about yourself? So I, I'm on the, on the brink of moving house, right? So where I live at the moment, I have a plastic-free supermarket very near me. I don't do all my shopping there, just a disclaimer. But every now and again, I like to go in for a bit here and there. So if it's getting things like oats or like some snacks, they do like apple rings, which are really nice. Apple or like rings. tea. Yeah, like dried apple. Oh, but cool. it's not hard. They're still quite chewy and foamy. It's kind of like sweets, but not bad for you. They're great. Or like dried mango and stuff. Um, and I go in there from time to time and I like the fact that I've got that option. But because I'm moving house, um, I've had to do a little bit of research. And this morning, actually, I went out, popped out for my coffee um, and went to go and see my what will now be local greengrocers. And they have a plastic free section where I can go and get my pasta and my oats and my tea oh, and stuff. Cool. So I am fully prepared to transition into good habits in my new house <laughs> you're ready you're ready to go <laughs> yeah that's very nice that sort of ties into our episode on sustainable diets isn't it it does Shopping actually well. yeah that's a that's a fun little throwback for the boxes left right and center yeah chuffed okay so one just little disclaimer before we crack on too much uh we spoke about the seven different types of plastics didn't we in our recycling we episode and i think last week's episode um so we don't have time to talk about all seven of these you know no we're very busy people we've got things to do nobody wants to listen to a 12-hour podcast and and you should be experts by now as well so we might send a little quiz out if you want to be quizzed on it we won't okay but but for now yeah we're, we're gonna for now steam yeah, on. we're just gonna be mostly focusing on flexible plastics because and single-use plastics really because they're the ones that we interact with the most so possibly the ones that maybe you and i have the most input on fixing the issues with so that's things like bottles and packaging, basically. So we've got to start somewhere. We do. Because it's quite a big subject, hence why we split this into two episodes. So let's start with marine plastics and the effects on the marine environment, because I think that's the one that perhaps the public in general are more aware of. Yeah, those are the kind of images that you get in the news much more often. You know, news seabirds, and, whales. Uh, planet Earth. Planet Blue Earth planet. Too. Yeah. So I think it's really struck a chord with people, which is great. Definitely. So that's where we're gonna we're gonna dive in, dive into the oceans, nice. <laughs> our plastic-filled oceans. That's all planned. <laughs> so um, to start with, obviously one of the things we see the most of is when marine organisms ingest the plastic, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess we're starting with the plastics as almost their full form when they first enter. Yeah. In their normal the state. Environment. Yeah. It, in, their, in their natural state, or non-natural. Um, so. Yeah, we've, we've seen things of uh, turtles eating bags, so they mistake them for jellyfish. Um, seabirds ingesting plastic. Whales. Whales. Chowing down everything in sight. Yeah, I mean, there was one story of, um, this was quite a few years ago, but it, it was really horrible because it was a sperm whale that got beached in Spain. Right. And they found 17 kilograms of plastic but it wasn't just like any plastic it was like greenhouse supplies okay was, like, rope and plant pots that have been dumped into the mediterranean plant pots yeah really really odd oh really God. odd and really horrible 17 kilograms yeah 17 kilograms that's so much especially with whale stomachs they kind of just sit there they don't really have well they've got no way of breaking it down do they well, they're exactly. not naturally going especially to ingest it big. no i um, don't know anyone that can break down a uh, plant pot internally 17 kilograms of it no not at all so those, like every now and again, like a big story comes out like that, like which is quite a big focus yeah. for the media, which is understandable because it's horrible. And it's obviously happening more and more frequently. 
but it goes so much further than that, doesn't it? It's not just whales, like we just said. Um, turtles, for instance, which we just mentioned. Um, back to the turtles. You just love your turtles, Lloyd. I, I love turtles, which is why this really pains <laughs> me. Um, really horrible number. There's a one in five chance of a turtle dying if it consumes a single piece of plastic. Oh, that is not good odds. So that's because it either blocks the digestive tract, so it can't eat anything more anyway, oh, or it, it could pierce things inside the body. Oh, God. Depending on what the plastic is. So these things end up in the ocean through, uh, for example, like ships throwing it overboard, uh, through just people around the coastlines, throwing it into rivers and seas, uh, just general... People being irresponsible with their waste. Practices, really, isn't it? Yeah, quite a lot of it, actually. You're right there. If you're talking about shipping, um, there's a huge problem with ghost nets. So yes, like a lot of the marine pollution isn't necessarily always like our crisp packets and our plastic bottles. It's um, like commercial trawlers and, and other farming, farming, fishing kind of industry just leaving waste. They can't be bothered or they don't need to go and pick up their nets uh, and they just get left. And, you know, what's yep. a net designed to do? It's designed to trap marine organisms. And whether you have left it there on purpose or not, it's going to do that. Exactly. And it's almost impossible to get them back again, isn't it, by that point? It's just going to drift around. And they're huge. Yeah, Ghost some nets of them are, are huge because obviously they're, it's an industrial scale thing. Yeah. Designed to feed like millions of people. Mm. Not good. Not good, folks. <laughs> N- not at all. Not at all. So I've got another turtle fact for you. Go on. Do you want another turtle fact? Uh, well, I, I think I do, but I think well, it's going to be a one. very happy fact. <laughs> it's not a happy fact. I'm really sorry. Um, they estimate, I can't remember who they is, but someone estimates that half of all sea turtles in the world have ingested a piece of plastic. Ooh. That is a lot. That's worrying, especially when you think, what was it? What, if what, if one, one in five, five died chance. from it, yeah. And 50% of them ingested plastic. I think that's just a, a pair of stats that go together quite nicely, which show the real extent of how far plastic pollution is globally. Exactly. I mean, and that's just, again, that's just turtles. Like it's seabirds as well, like albatrosses yep. have been found with lots of plastic in the stomach. Uh, porpoises, uh, I think one study, this was just one study, found that 50% of the porpoises that they studied had ingested plastic. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. What we're saying is ingestion is obviously a massive, massive problem. It ends up disrupting them quite heavily. But that's not the only thing that plastic does when it gets into the marine environment, is it? Because it can break down and it can break down into smaller pieces of plastic, which then are easier for smaller marine organisms to interact with and to to consume. But then also really, really, really far down into these tiny little parts of plastic called microplastics. Now, these have been such a buzzword recently. If you don't know what microplastics are, hold on, because here comes an explanation. But you should know what they are by now. They're basically really, really, really tiny pieces of plastic. I think it's less than 0.5 millimetres. Yeah, like super, super tiny. Yeah. Which, to the naked eye, you don't really really see they kind of look like a grain of sand i guess or, or smaller but because you don't see them it doesn't mean that they're not a problem so for smaller marine organisms they can be ingested without them even realizing it because it's in the water that they're kind of i don't know if you'd use the term breathing or drinking as a fish because they don't um, drink water they breathe through the water either way let's say breathing, well, breathing as someone who yeah. should know this yeah as, fish. A, as a fish biologist we, we, we're gonna Probably edit this out to say face. (laughs) I'm going to email it to your PhD research council. (laughs) I'm not. Um, But yeah, but once it gets into these marine organisms, into the fish, it doesn't just stay in their digestive tract because it's small enough to migrate through into other tissues in their body. 
So although, you know, you and I would say, well, you know, I don't eat the stomachs of a fish, so I wouldn't be eating the plastic. That's not necessarily the rest true. Of the fish. Because, it, yeah, it can end up in a lot of the tissues. Precisely. Um, uh, which, again, not good for them. Yeah, and when it comes to plastics breaking down, part of the issue is that as it gets smaller and smaller, the properties change and almost the challenges that you're facing in dealing with that plastic is changing mm. because suddenly... Yeah, they're getting smaller, but also the shape is changing. They're suddenly very amenable to carrying uh, pathogens and chemicals, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not a case of just plastics. You can really break this down into lots of different kinds of plastics. And plastics can break down pretty quickly in the ocean if it's warm water as well. Yeah, they're being churned around in the waves and they're also being yeah. exposed to sunlight and UV rays can help really break down plastics as well. Yes, exactly right. But yeah, so... Once it's kind of in, in the tissues of the smaller fish, it can bioaccumulate, so it can move up the food chain in the sense that the small fish will have a certain amount in their tissues. Those will be predated upon by a bigger fish, and then the more of the small fish that the big fish eat, the more collectively, or the higher collective amount of microplastic they will then have in themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's us as well, because uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember the numbers, but I've read about mussels. Oh, this is horrible. So every single... So a study had a look at um, mussels uh, being grown in UK waters and at every single site where they sampled mussel farms, uh, they found microplastics within the mussels. Uh, Now, mussels are great because they're bivalves and and annoyingly, I think we have previously said that they're great options for when you're looking at sustainable diets because they can be grown very naturally without a lot of space requirements because they can just grow on ropes, right? And they get everything they need from the environment but because they're filter feeders they're bivalves they literally take everything they need from the environment but they cannot filter out microplastics so they're getting all of their plankton and they're getting in all of their microplastics and i love mussels mussels are such a treat if i go out for dinner it's great seafood fanatic but you know it's quite hard to maybe now realize that maybe i think i probably had them twice last year both of those times i'm not gonna lie one of them i had really bad stomach afterwards and now looking back, I wonder. Um, that's probably now that I'm thinking about it, it probably wasn't because I had <laughs> microplastics. But yeah, we should probably, should probably be careful about. Uh, it's probably all of the cheese I ate as a lactose intolerant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's tangibly knowing that I would have definitely have eaten microplastics in those meals now makes me not want to choose mussels in the future. Yeah, this thing we're not trying to make anyone panic because they haven't proven any direct health link to humans. That I know of. Well, there might be some stuff coming up later in the episode. Oh, there we are. How exciting. But, uh, yeah, that's almost one of the dangers is that we don't know. And I'd, I'd rather not have yeah, tons I think, of plastic coming through my body. Yeah, one of the things with microplastics is, is because it's kind of only come to head recently, it's such an understudied area of science that we're kind of scrambling right now, aren't we? To kind of, not you and I, but like science in general is scrambling to kind of understand not only the extent that microplastics have infiltrated our environment, but what they're doing when they get there. And they're so hard to study because they're so small. So with microplastics, uh, you and I probably would have interacted with them quite a lot um, in the past because they used to be a really big part of our cosmetics whenever you had kind of exfoliating oh, body microbes, washes. wasn't it? Yeah, they were called microbeads because they sounded cool and trendy. Um, but they were literally just little bits of plastic. But the problem with them is that they get washed into our water 
And then the filtration systems within our water and within our sewage are just not good enough. They don't catch them. So it just continues out and ends up basically in the ocean or wherever our waste effluent goes. That's where the microplastics will then end up. So they figured this out. And in the UK, we banned the sale and manufacture of cosmetics with microplastics, which is great, or microbeads, as they were called. Um, But then it's kind of only half the battle because now the new kind of trending thing to talk about is microfibers. So a lot of our clothes, if you go back to our fashion episode, we cover this, I think, as well. A lot of our clothes are made out of plastic fibers um, in the fabric. And every time we wash them, these little strings or little fibers of plastic end up in the water and, you know, same story, end up in the ocean. Yeah, well, we said, we said quite often it comes through um, washing clothes. Yeah. Um, washing. Like one one jumper wash will put hundreds of thousands of plastic fibers oh, into the water. Me. Yeah, uh, just to hit you with some more numbers. God, you love a fact. I, I love facts. <laughs> are, you, are, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. 300 million clothing fibres are put into the Atlantic every day from the Hudson River in New York. What? Alone. Half of those are plastic fibres. 300 million clothing fibres. Yes. Uh, so it's 150 million plastic Oh my God. Just from the Hudson River. Every day? Yeah. I mean, I know New York is like super overpopulated, but oh my God. It's just... And is that, that's all from domestic washing? Um, from what I remember, yeah, that was the conclusion or suggested because I think when they started this study, they expected to find uh, much higher concentration of plastic fibres around industrial sites. Yeah. And they found it was pretty uniform all the way through, which suggested it's just coming in from multiple Literally sources, everywhere. like domestic waste as well. Goodness me. That's quite shocking. So that's, yeah, entering the water directly. Interestingly, another little study I found, which looked at atmospheric fallout, which from what I gather is just a very fancy way of saying rain. Right, I'm with you. So this was in Paris. Lovely. So we're jumping across the Atlantic now. Just let let your mind be taken across the Atlantic to Paris, where they put out these collectors. (laughs) Can you try to take the listeners on a journey? It's just, it's so much more visceral, isn't it? It is, I love it. So they put out these collectors and they concluded that three to ten tonnes of microfibers rained onto a thousand miles, a thousand square mile area of Paris every year. Three to ten tonnes. Yeah. Even if that's at the lowest end of that, even three tonnes is a lot. The fact that it could be up to ten tonnes. That's three more tonnes than I'd like. And hang on, wait, that's coming out of the rain? That's not even us Rain in general releasing it yeah. in general. That's coming from the skies. Yeah. Um, how on earth? So I'll wait, do some more digging. and how maybe did we post... get it up there? Well, yeah, this is the thing. I'm going to have a little look and post it on social media when I can. Yeah. Um, just because it's a little, not vague, but it's, it's, it's quite dense. Yes. Study. <laughs> so I think it's a mixture of evaporation into the water cycle if anyone remembers their gcc geography lovely um and also things just such as walking around wearing plastic based clothes and fibers just get swept up into the air and from industrial processes presumably yeah so it's mixed so yeah i'll try and find out just because it's it's really interesting to know how this is getting into the yeah i think we're all very used to the idea that we pollute water and that we pollute land around us but the idea that we also just generally you and i pollute the air with plastics yeah is is quite extreme so that's a fun one for everyone exactly and so we've moved from the marine environment to the air let's go back down 
Oh, Again, we're still on a journey, journey folks. <laughs> <laughs> I should be a storybook teller. You should, you should. And we're going to go back down to land. An interestingly underappreciated uh, well, almost, of microplastics. Mm. For example, um, estimated, now this is quite a big range, somewhere between four to 23 times larger uh, contamination microplastics on land than on the ocean. Wow. So essentially, we all very often get told about microplastics and microfibers in the ocean. Nobody's really talking about microplastics uh, in our terrestrial landscape. Well, it, because actually that's but it is where the microplastics come from to begin with, isn't it? So we're talking about microplastic runoff into the ocean, but obviously it starts on land. Yeah, true. You know, if we're if it's leaving our homes in our domestic waste... Uh, and in our kind of sewerage systems, you're right, that's going straight into fertiliser or into streams. Fertiliser's quite a big one. I think agricultural land as well, yeah, because uh, it goes into our sewage system, but 80, 90% of microplastic particles in sewage will persist because, quite frankly, like how do you filter out things that small all the time? No, not when you're trying to... Well, not when we've got bigger things to deal with. Exactly. So <laughs> like that... people flushing things, like face wipes or Q-tips. Exactly. What are Q-tips called in like, English, not American? Cotton, cotton buds. buds. Yeah, yeah, cotton buds. Um, you know, lots of bigger things will be flushed that people uh, in our sewage systems are, t- are trying to deal with. Microplastics are just being literally flying under the radar and swooshing straight through all of these filtering swooshing. systems. <laughs> Very onomatopoeic. Who's the storyteller now? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the agriculture will quite often spread this sludge on their land. So that'll go through into the ground. And the thing is, as we're talking about bioaccumulation earlier, where it gets into animals ingest it, they move it around. Things like earthworms, fungi, fungi, fungi. Fungi? Who says fungi? Oh, we had a lecture. Do you not remember there was this lecture who always pronounced it you know fungi? What? We made a really big point of it. Yeah, it he was my tutor. He was my tutor. Yeah, fungi. I'd forgotten all about that. You've really taken... Why did the mushroom go to the party? It had nobody to go with. No. <laughs> because he was a fun guy. Oh my God, can we cut that? <laughs> <laughs> can we do that again? No. <laughs> I'm not letting that be cut. Where did I get my <laughs> You were so confident as well. <laughs> Where did I get? You're that like, was a skeleton. I know this one. <laughs> Why did the skeleton go to the party? Oh, God. I've told a few jokes in my time. I've got this. <laughs> I need to get out more. Wow. Yeah, you really um, do. What a, what a... So let's go back to science. Uh, okay. yeah, so earthworms, fungi, earthworms. Um, almost like the base of a f- terrestrial food chains, I suppose, quite often. Yes. And earthworms as well are, I think you'd almost call them ecosystem engineers. So they move a lot of soil around. Uh, so they're quite important processes. Um, so they can not only, only ingest them, but literally move these microplastics around in the soil to other yeah, of areas. Of course, yeah. So they're still about in our in our land. And, yeah, not just sewage systems. So, for example, just wait landfill. Like the amount of plastic sent to landfill, that's going to leach into the ground. Yeah, we do not have enough room in, in landfill in general. Uh, and we're just cramming it full of plastics. But yeah, that's a really interesting point. So we've talked about plastics in their starting form, being big formed products. We've talked about them breaking down into microplastics. I'm going to take that one step further, and we're going to get into a chemistry lesson here. Oh. They can also break down and disintegrate and release chemicals, which have been part of their structural makeup, but get released 
later. Yes, I suppose a big part of the appeal of plastics is that you can add extra chemicals for particular properties, right? Absolutely. So some of the things you might have heard about regarding this in the news are endocrine disrupting chemicals. That sounds big and fancy. And what that basically means is they are chemicals which disrupt our endocrine system, which is our kind of hormones and our internal signaling system. Things that you don't want to mess with effectively. Systems that have been very fine-tuned over our evolutionary journey. Um, you, you don't want to mess with them. Now, one of these uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals, which is released from plastic, and so if you're drinking from a plastic bottle, it can enter the water, which has, has been sapped in that plastic bottle. Sure. <clears throat> um, so now, some of these mimic estrogen. We're all aware of estrogen. It's very key. It's yes. very essential uh, in our lives in the right quantities. It is not so good when it's in the wrong quantities. Now, because these chemicals um, can mimic estrogen, they can, again, trigger and change the hormone systems that we have happily functioning. And although they haven't done huge studies on what this does to humans, what it does to smaller organisms like fish or like small mammals is quite horrifying. And it's not something that I think anybody would want to happen on a large scale to humans. So it can change. So, for example, these hormones, if they leach into the water, if we go back to our water uh, dwelling friends, uh, if it ends up in kind of freshwater fish, for example, when they're when they're young, um, it can change their sex definition. So some of them are kind of born without sex and then the sex develops later. Um, so instead of developing into a male, like it would naturally do this one fish, because it's uh, exposed to high levels of these estrogen-mimicking hormones, it will probably end up as a female. And then it really skews with the balance of these populations. That's pretty terrifying. If you can literally change its gender, that's quite scary. And it can also trigger things like early puberty in small mammals. Not good. Not nice. So anyway, the kind of poster child for this one, everyone, when we first find out about this kind of system, uh, was BPA. I remember this, yeah. yeah. I mean, you get a lot of bottles now which explicitly will say BPA-free. So they make a big point of it. Yeah, exactly, which is great. So everyone knows, okay, BPA is bad for you. It can give you headaches or whatever it is. Um... So everyone knows, don't buy BPA. Fabulous. Um, but a big, I was reading a study yesterday, uh, which was looking at all of the other plastics and the monomers that we use. And just because they don't have BPA in it, that doesn't mean that the rest of the plastic compounds used to make that plastic product don't then disintegrate also into chemicals which have estrogen activity. Oh, uh, interesting. So just because you're dodging BPA doesn't mean you're dodging everything else which has yeah. the same effect. So I think a lot of people will think, oh, I've done my bit, I've got my healthy plastics almost. But you kind of haven't. And this study was like, it was quite shocking. It was like 70% of plastics that they surveyed. Um, and these were like domestic plastics, so even things like um, children's bottles um, still had uh, estrogen activity. 70%? Yeah, it was... It was I'll, I'll whack a link up to this study if anyone's remotely interested in reading it. I found it quite interesting. But it was, it was really hard to see... To think like not only, yeah, not only is it really disrupting kind of the environment by being a solid object, the things that it disintegrates into and we can barely even see can be having such an impact on how we regulate our own bodies. This goes back into what we were talking about earlier. Like we don't, we there, there still is a, I suppose I could say paucity, uh, just lack, lack of information almost, lack of studies that really gone into what the clear health effects are on humans yeah like there's we just keep using plastics so we don't 
really think about it too much because it's become such an intrinsic part of our lives. Mm. So, but one of the other things as well, another fun fact for you, is that these facts aren't so. Oh, fun. I know. I was, okay, another, <laughs> another totally I mean, miserable very fact interesting, for you. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Stick around for part two, folks. It'll get much more exciting. It gets exciting. better. It gets so much more That's when we're actually going to look at yeah, what we can <laughs> yeah. do. But, right, so these things, like, say you get a plastic bottle and you're like, well, you know, I don't want it to be single use, so I'm going to use it for the next two weeks or whatever. Um, the constant exposure to things like sunlight uh, and the UV rays, even uh, boiling water, if you put boiling water in, or microwaves. So if you're using, uh, you know, like a plastic takeaway thing and you put your oh, plastic yeah. takeaway in the microwave, that can cause the disintegration into these chemicals so to happen so much faster. So basically, plastics are bad. Ooh. Yeah, I'm now looking around and realising how much plastic I have in the very near vicinity. Yeah, I mean, did you ever get it now? I mean, th- 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 I started realising this before we did this podcast, but I'm at this point where I walk in the supermarket and I just look around and I think... That's a lot of plastic. Yeah. Like you're just suddenly struck by all of a sudden, like everything is yeah. wrapped in plastic, wrapped in plastic. Yeah. It was, um, I went into, I went into Asda the other day to do a quick food shop and I was like, literally everything in their fresh produce aisle, like is wrapped in plastic. And I've kind of got quite used to maybe going to the greengrocers and mm. suddenly being like back in this environment and you see everyone around you just like shoveling things into their trolleys, like this very consumer orientated world that we live in um and for the first time me looking at it and being like whoa there are so many things that maybe aren't okay about this um and i was like right i'm only going to buy vegetables that i can buy loose so i bought pretty much potatoes bananas and a melon because was that everything you could find pretty much oh and a pepper i bought some red peppers do you remember this story from i might be about two years ago now something like that um m&s uh were packaging these cauliflower steaks did you see that no. So they were trying to sell them as, the, you know, this like vegan alternative to steak. Cauliflower is really fancy. It was literally a slice of cauliflower. They just sliced up cauliflower and wrapped it in plastic and sold it as cauliflower steaks. Wait, they didn't even like mulch it into some form of... No. It no, was literally, nothing else, a... literally a cut of cauliflower. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> yeah, like, go and grill it. It's like, yeah. Uh, no. Or I could buy this whole cauliflower. <laughs> and I could cut it up myself. Yes. Oh God. I mean, it's hard with plastics as well, especially when you're talking about fresh produce. There is an argument that things last a lot longer. So you can extend their shelf life, which means you don't have to have as much grown or as much transported. And I get that. So like, I think it's there cucumbers. there are health benefits, yeah. right? Yeah. Cucumbers will last up to five times as long if they're wrapped in cellophane than if you were trying to sell them fresh. But then, you know, now I'm starting to think, well, what is the impact of having that cucumber in contact with plastic for that long if plastics have this negative possible hormone uh, disrupting function anyway? I now don't necessarily want my things to be interacting with plastics. Yeah. Personally. Basically, doing this podcast has freaked me out so much. I am going to go and live in a cave away from everything. Oh, that's... <laughs> I mean, fair, but no, you know fair, very I mean. dramatic. <laughs> So we've kind of broken you down, uh, been very pessimistic. Oh, can I say one more thing? Of course you can. Uh, listeners, if you haven't seen Liz Bonin's Drowning in Plastic, oh yes, hot yeah. foot it over to your nearest TV or laptop and go and watch it. It's excellent. Again, it's quite sad. It's maybe done what we've done here and, and highlighted a lot of the issues and made people a bit sad. But it's really fascinating and it's a really well put together documentary. So do you want to expand? Like, do you want to tell us what it's about? Like, Do you want to give... 
Oh, well, it's, it's literally, it's Lisbon and looks at um, the effects of marine plastics. So she goes and she sees some seabird colonies, which uh, volunteers are helping to like pump the stomachs of chicks because they know the chicks would have invested all these plastics. So they pump the stomachs before they release them out into the wild again, because they know they're much more likely to then survive than if they're being fed these plastics by their parent birds. Oh, wow. But then actually there was a really cool thing about if we're sticking with a bit of kind of, bit of chemistry sort of, um, they had a look at this pathogen which adheres to plastics. So plastics are floating in the ocean and they're a really good surface for things like toxins and disease to stick to. So then they're also then transported via the plastics to other marine organisms and other places in the world. So there's a massive spread of disease going on because we've kind of provided the ocean with an extra carrier for this disease. Yeah, this is something we sort of forgot to go into almost before, but yeah, yeah. that that's exactly right. They're literally... a, a base potential base of pathogens mm. um and that's another sort of newish thing that's coming up that hasn't been that well studied yet because i was looking at the fact that apparently in medicine they're looking at the potential for nanoplastics mm-hmm. to deliver drugs in our bodies oh yeah so that kind of i mean okay that's not pathogens but my point is that these are small bits of plastic that we know are very good at getting into our bodies and releasing things Yes. But yeah, so go back and watch Drowning in Plastic. And also, if you haven't seen Blue Planet 2, um, where have you been, is my first question. Uh, and, and go and watch that as well. And those two documentaries, I think, were really integral in getting people to be interested in the plastic debate. 100%. Okay, folks, that's all from us for now, for the first part anyway. So we have got part two already up, I believe, because we're so productive. We are, we're, we're super efficient. How about that? So head on over and you can hear the rest of our chat about plastics. There you go, so you've got one for your commute in, one for your commute back. Perfect, it's like we planned it. Almost. We'll see you in part two.